Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education, eSchool News Conversations with Superintendents and Tech Directors about the direction of education. My name is Kevin Hogan. I'm editor-at-large, and with me today is Christy Brooks. Christy, welcome to the, to the show. Thanks so much for, uh, for joining me today. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So, Christy, you are the superintendent of one of the uh, the coolest sounding school districts that I've spoken to. I'm going to pronounce it correctly, Chattahoochee. Mm-hmm. Chatt- That's us, Chattahoochee County, and we kind of call ourselves Chatco. Cool, cool. And, and so where, where are you in, in the state of Georgia? Yeah, well, Chattahoochee is a small rural system um, in the southwest corner of Georgia. So basically, we are on the Georgia-Alabama line. And what makes us unique is we are really um, home of the fifth largest military installation in the world, which is Fort Benning. So um, we have the U.S. Army right there in our back door. They actually have about 80 percent of our land. And then the little 20 percent remaining is our little town. Uh, that's interesting. That's really that's really interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to have you on for, for several reasons, one of which, I, as I just mentioned to you before we started recording, is I'm at about a year anniversary with these conversations. And obviously, and unfortunately, they've all focused around what else? Response to the pandemic and response to COVID and all the the various aspects of that. Now that school has ended at the time of this recording for pretty much everybody, um, I'd like to talk about going forward. Yeah, (laughs) Talk a little bit about some of the, the... is there light at the end of the tunnel? I think there is. Um, And I think there are a number of interesting ideas and innovations that have sprung from this really terrible time. Um, And maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, some of the innovations that you found in your district at that time and what you hope to kind of keep around for the fall. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you summed it up best. Definitely light at the end of the tunnel. And, and we definitely feel that um, you we feel that sense of energy, not only in our school building, but in our communities. Um, and and we, we try to say we're getting back to a normal. Um, but for us, we're excited that normal does absolutely look different. Um, when we think about just the makeup of our town, one of the things that I shared with you is that we are in a military community. So we have this small little neck of the woods where our uh, residents, our community is. And then we have about 65% of our students that are globally educated. So they are coming from all over the place into our small little rural system. And um, you would have thought that would have spurred the change. And it started happening slowly, the more military children we've received. But of course, um, life after pandemic, our return looks so different. And we're so excited about what that's bringing for our community, what it's helping us provide for our students. Um, We were already on that one-to-one movement. Obviously, the pandemic spurred it on greatly. Um, but what we've seen from our teachers is it wasn't just one-on-one with a device. I mean, that's, that's, just, that's just a school supply. What are we doing with those school supplies now? And as we started last year, and then, of course, as we ended this year, watching how our teachers took, uh, for us particularly, Google Classroom and was, were able to use their platform as a one-stop shop for students to be able to have constant feedback and communication um, really just opened their eyes to 
how we can educate and how we can give feedback and how we can bring in student voice. Um, and it just looked different. And I know um, for many of our larger, more metropolitan cities, you know, maybe those are the types of things they've been doing regularly. But when you think about a small um, rural corner of Georgia, uh, we were really proud of what we saw, how we saw folks embrace it. And what it's done for us is it opened up our doors for our board and our community to begin having real conversations about what are we going to do for children? We were fortunate enough that um, we had conversations. We went through our protocols. We started on a hybrid schedule. All of the schools around us were closed. We were on a hybrid schedule. As that went successful, we added more days so that we actually wound up being face-to-face um, for the majority of the school year. Oh, we great. did. Yeah, it was amazing. We did offer a full-time virtual choice, but um, the, the stronger hybrid went, the more face-to-face returned. And as we did that, our board... Um, revised a policy and we said that we will start taking out of county students. And so where most of rural America, not even rural Georgia, where most of rural America is seeing a decline in enrollment, our students started coming to us from other systems. And we have really used that as a springboard to say, what is the purpose of a a public school? What is the purpose of a school building? And if we say it's to educate global citizens, that doesn't mean a global citizen who's got the area uh, zip code that's in our in our residence. So we now have about seven different counties represented. Of course, we have 10 countries from um, our military students. And so we really have a melting pot of students um, that we're so excited to call Chatco Panthers in this little corner of Georgia. That is really uh, amazing. And, and you're saying that this is something that was in the planning works or was in existence right. before the pandemic, mm-hmm. but the pandemic has just accelerated it? Absolutely accelerated it. And then so, and obviously it's going to stick around. It's mm-hmm. So that this is going to be an entrenched strategy mm-hmm. for your mm-hmm. district. Um, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that setup. So, I mean, uh, but everyone is at a certain point in person. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we ended. Uh, well, we actually began January back completely face to face, except for the students who did choose virtual. Um, and we delayed our school start. So in August, we used that for teacher planning. We used it for really transitioning to more training with Google Platform. And our teachers had the entire month of August that we planned. Okay. We returned to school in September on a hybrid schedule. So we did an AB schedule. And in November, we added more days based on the data. Um, we, were, we were having really good responses in our community um, with keeping our thresholds low. And we added more days in November for our youngest students. Gotcha. And, um, we did, did the same in December. And then in January, K-8 returned face-to-face um, five days a week. Okay. And um, again, as that continued to be successful, um, by the uh, beginning of March, um, K-12 was face-to-face every day. And our virtual enrollment in September was about 37% of our families were full-time virtual. 
by January, it was 13% of our families. Gotcha. Um, again, and I go back to, you know, we wanted to make sure that our families felt comfortable, that they felt like they had options. And a lot of that was, and yeah, given it was, you know, they had to have the trust of the school system, but they just had to look at the data. We published our data every Friday at four o'clock. We did it on social media and we did it on our website because we just wanted to say, hey, this is what's happening. And every Friday at four o'clock, you're going to see um, broken down by the school, broken down by the grade levels, the number in quarantine, the number of positive cases, how many are students, how many are faculty. And, um, you know, we just wanted to make sure that every family, every community pe person really had a gauge so that they knew what was happening. And do you think that that's going to be a best practice that continues as, as well in terms of the communication strategy with your parents, even though you hopefully don't have to talk about COVID anymore, but yeah. maybe you can go yeah. back to football scores? Absolutely. Yes, we de uh, we've really spent a lot of time since then thinking about how do we communicate to parents? Um, obviously, I, I don't feel that unless, you know, we see any medical changes that it would be a four o'clock posting of COVID on Friday. But um, we're definitely looking at the three big pillars of how what we communicate to parents um, so that they always have constant information. Um, again, using we use Aptogee as a website. And so that has a thrill share that goes out um, through text messages and cell phones, but also just with our social media so that we're pushing us a combined message every week to our families. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. Other, um, other innovations, um, any other uh, techniques, you know, maybe last spring, if you think back to where I see most districts were almost like in a triage situation, trying to stay connected with their students. Any moments where you're kind of like, wow, we should have been doing it this way all along. Like, I don't know, one-to-ones with parents or. Well, no, I, I mean, you know, something that was, as we say it now, we're like, oh, wow, how simple. But I mean, something as simple as the flexibility with attendance. I mean, we, you know, especially when we returned face to face, the first thing we said is parents, if your child is ill, they do not come to school, even if it is allergies. We're not taking the chances. They must stay home. And, and of course, as a family member, they're worried and there's attendance protocols and there's so many days and there's seat time. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. you know, we've got Google Classroom. All, you've got a one-to-one -one device. So you're ill today. Log in and participate. And I mean, as soon as we did that and, you know, our, our classrooms are open spaces. We, you know, our teachers are transparent with our families. Um, we, we want you to be present, but we don't want your, we don't want your runny nose in class. <laughs> and as soon as we did that and, you know, we saw the, the worry from families kind of subside and we saw kids become more engaged that we said, why have we not been doing this? Right. Um, why are we sending stacks and stacks of papers and books home for kids to fill out worksheets when they're out when truly they could have sat here and been engaged and participated, had continual learning. They just didn't need to be around people that day. And um, it's really opened up our ability to have some uh, real life conversations. Yeah. Um, and so we absolutely have talked about how do we transition this in um, in an equitable way, but in a way that makes sense because, yeah. you know, know everybody's, um, home life and situation life doesn't um, 
maybe allow for that in terms of the, you know, maybe they don't feel comfortable being able to participate. Um, And we also want to make sure that we're not putting anyone at a disadvantage. Many of our children come to school, they get breakfast, they get lunch. Um, We use closed closets. We have a medical clinic. We want to make sure all those supports and resources are available for children who need them. But we also know that sometimes somebody may not need to be in that large group setting. And so how do we support those needs? So just being able to have those conversations has really just changed how we operate school, um, that we're more willing. It's been easier in the past to always hear no, no, no. Whereas now, you know, that's kind of our mantra. How do we start with a yes in mind? And how do we use that yes to see what it is that's possible for our children? Well, you, you talk about the equity aspect of things. And as, as you mentioned, you're, you're a rural district. One of the big topics uh, that we've always spoken about almost in theory is the idea of uh, digital equity. And mm-hmm. specifically when it comes to access to the mm-hmm. internet, rural districts are always used as an example of the, you know, that last mile mm-hmm. that uh, mm-hmm. has not been reached. So AT&T this spring has um, talked about $4 billion mm-hmm. uh, being devoted to subsidizing access and actually putting pipe mm-hmm. out to, to districts such as yourselves. The federal mm-hmm. government is, is seems to be stepping up now to where this isn't going to be a theory anymore. It's going to be reality. Mm-hmm. What what sort of um, is that going to have an effect on the way that you teach and learn? Absolutely. It's it's life changing. I mean, what we did during pandemic is we were able to um, work with our local technical college and we had um, Wi-Fi extenders put out throughout our community and we did them about every half mile then we were able to put extenders in business parking lots. Um, So we had about 35 extenders throughout our community. Mm. But even that, it didn't touch everybody. And and even with that, it still didn't have a sense of equity. Um, You know, I, I can speak as a mom. My child could log on from her bedroom, be comfortable, do what she needs to do. Her friend who could access still had to, you know, go across the street to get a better signal. And, you know, even though she had access, she didn't have it in an equitable way. And so being able to have the ability to, like you said, to have more fiber, to have more connection um, so that it's just, just like running water in your home is absolutely going to be a game changer. What we've talked about it's not even a game changer for education. It's a game changer economically. We have so many businesses that with spotty reception and spotty service that um, they couldn't, you know, they can't run the cards for online payments. And so that hinders, you know, we have many, many travelers coming through because we have a major um, highway coming through. So that would, that impacts the ability to do transactions because people are not, you know, with cash. And so the more that um, we have this equity of connectivity, the economic development will be there. Our children will have more access for research. And it really truly is an absolute game changer. So I'm so excited to see um, the unfortunate unfortunate, um, items that were uncovered with the pandemic. Uh, but what it's allowed us to do is shine a light on it and say, what are we going to do now? Uh, you know, we try to do telemedicine and teletherapy and, 
you know, having a, um, a strong connection for that is almost impossible if you don't have fiber in your community. Right, right. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, maybe the, the boring stuff, some of the, uh, the the back office, some of the administrative uh, tasks that maybe were paper based uh, BP <laughs> before the pandemic. Have, have you seen a change there, an acceleration there? And I, I assume we, you won't go back to that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, and, and we had already been moving in that direction slowly. Again, this was just another spur. Yeah. We've been able to move. Um, all of our purchase orders. We have an online purchasing order system now. Um, and again, that actually was part of our strategic plan when I began in the district. Um, one of our goal areas was an efficient and effective um, works flow. And so we started with our purchase orders. And again, the pandemic helped us intensify the speed in which we did that. But doing our purchase orders online, not only is it more effective, does it reduce redundancy, but it also allows us to be very aware of our budget process because we can have immediate checks onto what the budget is, what we're spending, where we are in that line item. So we've got our purchase orders online now. So again, that's paperless for our employees. Their time and leave is online. And then we had already moved all of our payment process for paychecks online so that, um, you know, and what I had shared with our employees pre-pandemic because some of them, you know, some of, I, I say, the um, a more traditional generation that we still had, uh, they had a difficult time with that. Um, but we sat down and we went through it and I showed them how to log in. And, um, you know, one of the things I shared with them, as much as we always want you to be our employee, there may come a time that you choose somewhere else. And when you choose somewhere else, because maybe it's um, a salary increase or maybe, you know, you are a grandmother and maybe you decide to go move in with your, your child and help with the grandchildren, but you want to have a side job. I've got to make sure that you're ready for a different world. And so, you know, we had already moved our pay stubs online and for them to know how to check their benefits and how to do, you know, to check their pay stubs. So um, we'd already been moving in that direction. Again, pandemic sped it up so that now though, like you said, the, the boring basic stuff, um, it's just part of our system um, in our staff links. And so, again, um, it's a great way of supporting and educating your employees and just preparing them for the world that we live in. Right. That uh, it inspires me from some other conversations I've been having about a number of myths that have, are being busted because of this experience. Mm -hmm. um, and one of which comes from the aspect of educators. So I, I've been writing about it. EdTech for a long time. And we've always done a lot of stories about convincing certain percentages of teachers that technology can help enable mm -hmm. them. It's not going to replace them. It's going to enable them and it's a good tool. Uh, and there was always a certain, we call them thwatties, you know, that's the way I've always done it. And mm -hmm. that's the way I'm always going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, pandemic comes, you can't do it the way you always did it. I mean, it was, mm -hmm. this was a forced beta test. Mm -hmm. across the planet. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about um, maybe professional development in your district. And as you were talking about the back office stuff, I assume that was a dynamic with instructional tools as well. Yeah. Uh, how has that changed? And do you think that that's another uh, unintended benefit? Yeah. Um, I think for us, one of the 
greatest things that came out of it in terms of professional development was, you know, we, we had it built into our calendars. We had some professional development. We're talking about literacy or data, you know, the soft things that we all do that we love as educators, sure. but this really shaped it up differently. And I was beyond fortunate to um, have a, a professional colleague at our local library and she was, um, had been a former teacher, but she was doing a lot of instructional technology for our local library. And so during the pandemic, we contracted with her to really do small group sessions with teachers and to help them with Google Classroom and to just go through a lot of our processes. And it, I mean, and again, we didn't set it up as a you know professional development calendar. She was just a, a coach. She had time where she went to um, grade level meetings and people could sign up with her for appointments. She had time where she just went into classrooms and worked on things kind of as a co-teacher. And we had a year of that support with her so that she just became our person and people trusted her. And um, the plan was for my folks, you know, teacher up, bottom up to say, wow, we really need an instructional technology coach. And so, of course, at the end of the year, that's what they asked for. And we had already budgeted for it. So now um, for the first time in our system, we actually, of course, have our net, our, our uh, technology director who does network and, you know, he does all the hardware. But now we're bringing in someone who is the heart of a teacher, but she's an instructional technology specialist. And so she will work full time with us, continuing that coaching. And so that's kind of um, how we have arranged her role. Obviously, we have some formal PD around all of this, but it really is that coaching and that team based approach so that she's developing lessons with folks, that she's in there co-teaching with them to take out the concern of, am I doing it right? She, it's a, you know, she models it, they see it, they work together on it, then they get to try it. Yeah. And uh, we're really excited about how it worked for us last year and now to have that as a full-time role for us. Well, I usually try to wrap up these conversations with kind of a, a glass half full question. Uh, I don't need to do that. <laughs> this entire uh, conversation seems like you just have a lot of great initiatives that are in place and that you not only just you know, survived the pandemic, but are, are thriving uh, amongst it, right? Well, and as we really have just the most unique community. Um, they have just been hungry for being able to be seen and valued for who they are. And they're so hungry and they're so receptive. Our professional educators that are in our district, and I mean from bus drivers to lunchroom to teachers, um, you know, they could go anywhere because um, right outside of our small rural district is the second largest city in Georgia. Columbus, Georgia is a very large metropolitan city and folks could choose to go there, but they choose us. And so our folks knowing that they have the opportunities to go bigger places and to go other places where there's more resources, um, they, they love our community, they love our children, but they have been so hungry to just be recognized for what they're doing and to have the opportunity to do more. And so we've used this, I mean, really, 
what shut the world down um, and could have torn us apart. We just used it to pull ourselves up from the boots and say, look at our kids, look what they can do. And our family saw that, um, not even from the school system, but they saw them as families. Look what we can do as families. And we're just so proud of, it's easy to get yourself knocked down and not get back up, um, but we've used it to just push forward. And it's created a sense of pride that's really um, transparent across the district and, and it's contagious. So uh, we're very much looking forward to August 9th. That's our first day back. And um, we've already got kids up in our buildings now doing what we're calling summer STEMcation. And they're doing some camps, um, just a lot of project-based learning. And we're doing it with a camp mindset. And um, they're in the parking lot 15 minutes before the doors are opening. <laughs> um, and, and we just want to keep that enthusiasm for when school starts back because we know that uh, we can exceed and do great things. And yeah. we kind of got a platform now that people see us and we've been heard and seen and we don't want to go back to what it used to be. Yeah. Well, congratulations. It, it sounds like uh, it's a really exciting time for you and for your, your families. Uh, I appreciate the work that you do. And I appreciate your time and insights today that I think uh, our audience will be able to take and, and, and replicate. So, Christy, thanks again. Thank you, Kevin. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. And thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening and watching. And I hope uh, you click into another episode soon. Bye-bye.